Welcome to the Must Love Self Podcast. My name is Carly Israel, and I'm your host. Every week, I get to interview a beautiful, courageous, strong woman who is willing to share her ugly and beautiful with the world. Must Love Self is a podcast, a movement, and a decision. It is about women lifting other women up, women holding each other women accountable, and women finding their way along this path. I hope you enjoy. La, 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 la. I have Jessica Stone on here. I've actually been so excited to have you. I cannot wait to get into it with you. Jessica Stone is a Washington-based news anchor and correspondent who covers U.S. politics as well as economic and foreign policy. Her book, 20 Lessons to Help You Thrive in Cross-Culture Environments, we'll talk about that at the end, but welcome, Jessica. Thank you, Carly. It's good to be here. What can you say about yourself beyond what I just shared so we can get to know who you are a little bit? Well, I'm a wife. I'm a mom, uh, relatively new. I've been married for about eight years. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old and parenting, as far as I'm concerned, is way harder than anything else I've ever done. I'm not very subtle. I'm very direct (laughs) in my communication, which has not stood me in good stead, particularly um, in my interactions with uh, Asian cultures, specifically Chinese, which I write about in Crossing the Divide, as I spent a lot of time working with uh, Chinese colleagues um, at the, uh, the major Chinese broadcaster. I was their White House correspondent for about eight years. And I am a total nerd. I think nerds are cool. I love to learn. And I really discovered through writing my book, you, uh, you talk about um, the things that you learn about yourself when you write, that I was sort of pre-programmed from birth based on the way I was raised and to whom I was born for seeking out unconsciously or subconsciously difficult environments that required me to adapt culturally, religiously, um, and in other ways. And so um, I just find people fascinating. I find travel fascinating. I am really enjoying my kids this season in pandemic, but I'm also dying to travel again. So I'm so excited that Europe appears to be poised to let us in if we have a vaccine passport, although China would be even more exciting to be able to go back to. I think I'm one of those women who other women will say, oh, you know, you've done X, Y, Z, because I have to be a self-promoter, right? So there's um, a tension there with like what I actually think of myself and then what I allow other people to think about me. (laughs) Oh my God. That's so amazing about what I actually think of myself and what I allow others to think about me. And I want you to just give us a little glimpse into that because before we started, since you're on in front of the world, right. And your job, as you said, is not only to be the smartest person in the room, but you also have to be beautiful because that's what our society is set up. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you've found your way through that in order to promote yourself and what you believe versus what everyone else thinks? So I think like a lot of women, I have some touch tone moments with um, what I thought of myself. I was told in fifth grade by a kid whose face I can still see to this day, Jeff something or other, that I was fat. And I was a pretty chunky young lady. I was not very into exercise. I, you know, it was the eighties. I had my bangs, I had my earrings, I had my, you know, bright colors. And I just decided at that moment that I was going to be the smartest person in the room because I didn't think I could ever be the prettiest or the most fit. And I didn't really know how to be then, you know, wound up 
feeling, I think the first person who'd ever told me I was pretty, I was 16, I had braces. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I never thought of myself in those terms. And then I wind up in television, which is very visual. And I really wasn't like, it wasn't a knockout. I had very short hair. I always had chubby cheeks. I had it, I have a big smile. Um, that maybe stood me in good stead, but I really, you know, was drawn to journalism, not for the appearance part and especially not television, but for the presentation part and the learning part and the writing part. I love to write. And so there was always a tension in there. I mean, I, I was never like as thin as the other girls. I don't think I have a sense of fashion or like a, you know, I'm not into clothes or fashion. I'm usually behind. I just, I really love the classic look. Cause then I can just like go have, have index cards and just pull out what I need next in my closet. So that's kind of my look for most of my, my life until probably I hit my mid to late twenties. I didn't, I, I didn't think I could command a room. And I think just something started changing as I started thinning out and it took me a long time to do. I mean, I probably look better and younger and more fit now than I did in my twenties and thirties. 40 was, has been good, good to me, not because it's easy to lose weight anymore. Cause it's not, it sucks, but yeah, there's just been a tension. And, you know, I wound up in working in places like Fox news, where you're basically walking around with previous Miss Americas and Miss Florida's and Miss this. And you're like, you know, I don't know how to walk in heels like these women. I don't look like these women. It's I, I can't tell Did you, you the level of with insecurity. That? Oh my gosh. I used to pray. I'm a person of faith. I used to pray the arm. There's that passage in Ephesians about the armor of God. I felt like I had to put that on with speech every day because I felt so attacked by the insecurities I would feel in that context. And, you know, I mean, you've read what, what everybody else watching has read about the environment there. It wasn't quite as pronounced in, in Washington where I work. Let's just say brains were not the first thing on men's minds when they saw you. So, so that must've um, been a big switch for you because you said since fifth grade, that you wanted your worth and approval and to feel like part of, and that you were the smartest. And so then you go in a situation where looks are really a big deal. You said earlier that you have to be a self-promoter when you said what I think of myself versus what other people think I think of myself. Can you give us an idea of what you mean by that? Sure. I just have a lot of not so flattering thoughts about myself. I don't think I'm the most successful. I don't think of myself as the most accomplished. I see younger, prettier women go quick, go farther, faster because they made different decisions and they maybe don't have quite the independent streak where I didn't follow all the rules or check all the boxes. Um, Maybe stayed some jobs too long or didn't get an agent or, um, I mean, there's just so many decisions that I made that are more a reflection of me than trying to be on a track. And I look at some people that are, were more successful on a track, so to speak. And I just think, gosh, like, you know, I don't feel successful by comparison to them. I'm here with you right now. So I'm 42. How old are you? 42. Okay. 79. Um, So yeah, I'm 42 and find myself today, literally like this week going crap. I need to figure out what I want to do next. Like I I'm at a pivot career wise. I'm not going to allow that mean voice in my head to say the shoulds and the why didn't use because I can see and I'm sure you can also see when you're not allowing any of that negativity come coming in that all the choices we made have brought us to where we are and I love the human I am I love the mom I am I love these conversations and so while I don't necessarily have what the outer world might see as success I'm going to define what that is 
And I want to know, like, what helped you get to a place when you said like now at 40 around this time that you're like, I'm feeling better than I've ever felt. I am still in process. I do think owning my own mental health and owning that I need, I need a little bit of chemical assistance to maintain my positivity (laughs) (laughs) um, is important. Um, I also think that being further away from what I believe was a lot of PTSD from spending time in Afghanistan and theater is also a factor. I used to be much more angry, much more hair trigger than I am now. I think marrying the right person who makes me feel safe and helps encourage safe habits and regular time set aside for prayer and meditation, regular exercise, good wine, good friendships. Um, I've gotten rid of the toxic people in my life for the most part, but, and I'm also working for myself and I don't know that I'll always be doing that. So there's a, there's a question in my mind as to whether or not that is something that is what I need to be doing, or if I should go back into an office environment, because I still do have dreams that have office environment parameters, you know, (laughs) even though I've really been enjoying the flexibility I've had since I left my white house job two years ago. And, um, yeah, so I guess I'm, I'm not willing to say I've completely there, Carly. I think, I don't think anybody is. (laughs) Can I just say something more there having written, written something that makes me sort of understand, okay, You've been on a journey and make, it actually makes a lot more sense now that it's in this book and it's, and I'm trying to use it to give people not just an adventure story, which it is, but also a skill set that I think is much more important for the future. I think having small children is helping me think about what do have I learned that I want to impart to others. And that's why I wrote a book about cross-cultural relational communication skills that I think have been important and sort of absorbed for me and mostly learned by mistakes. And I hope other people will learn not from my mistakes or learn from my mistakes and not have to repeat them. Because when you, when you do share some of those stories, and I think you must've encountered this too, with people, you know, 10 or 15 years younger than you, they're just hanging on your every word. They're so glad for those skills. I, I never had or sought out those kinds of relationships. I thought I knew it all and didn't need a lot of help. And boy, was I wrong. So <laughs> when I, know, I see young women I need like help. that, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like only now though, I'm willing to say out loud that I need help. I need a village. Yeah. I need all of you. Like I yeah. can't do this by myself and permission to be human about it before I want, I want to come back to what you learned when you were away and what you shared in your book. But I want to, I always ask all the women that come on here, we're going to give a reading of ourselves in terms of one to 10, one is I really am not kind to myself. And 10 is I'm pretty kind to myself. I treat myself well in these three areas. So I want you to give me where you are today and how you see your own body. I think I'm probably a seven. I'm regularly taking care of myself physically in terms of exercise, Um, not sweating Although I do sometimes sweat eating something I shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I, every time, you know, I get in a swimsuit or wear something tight and slinky, I'm not, not super thrilled. (laughs) What's the lowest your numbers ever been? I think after my pregnancies where it's probably lower. Yeah. Was it because you didn't like have preparation that you're not supposed to like automatically look amazing? The the hormonal aspect of it. (sighs) feeling lonely, abandoned when you're not feeling completely out of control, wanting to throw your kid against the wall, wanting to hurt your kid because you're just not in a good mental place, especially in the middle of the night when you can't nurse and you're really frustrated. And I love my children. You know, that's part of why I need certain 
assistance and certain awarenesses about my, my state of mind. Oh, we are totally to open about that here. We, I mean, <laughs> I will be on medication for the rest of my life. I have no problem with it. There was a period of time where I tried to get off of medication with a doctor's help. And I found out that I need medication. And it's yeah. just like, if you're a diabetic and you decide you don't want to take insulin anymore, you don't just get to make that decision. If you have a chemical imbalance, which I do, then not having that, no matter how hard I work out or eat well, or meditate yeah. or pray or do kind things, it wouldn't affect me if I needed insulin, that none of that's going to make it go away. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. What would yeah. you give your number for your worth today, knowing that you are worthy to be in any room, to be in front of any camera, to be in any situation? I want to say an eight. That might be a bit aspirational. <laughs> what is the lowest it's ever been? Probably a three or a four. And when was that? About 10 years ago, right before I met my husband. What was going on then? I was in a toxic romantic relationship. I was living with a toxic roommate. I was doing really hard things professionally. I was in a startup um, and it was like the mismatch between expectations and reality was a huge chasm. And I would come home every night and not have anywhere to put all of that really, except just crying and praying and complaining. <laughs> venting, but I didn't really have um, somebody safe to do that with. I mean, I, I can remember when I initially met my husband, he always says I was such a mess. He lived an hour outside of the city and I would come out and he's like, you just came out and cried every weekend. And I was like, yeah, I probably did. Cause I was, I still had PTSD. I still, I was trying to do hard things. I mean, what I did in Afghanistan was send myself to a war zone and not have any guaranteed work. So I had to find work and face everyday stuff that was going on in a war zone and the, the layers of stress, I didn't fully even grasp until I came back and nobody gave me an award for doing this very hard thing for two months. And that was just devastating. So I think that whole, you know, yeah, 10 years ago, and then I started going to other conflict zones and I still came back and cried because I was, I was just seeing like, you know, I was seeing people die. I was seeing people be hurt. I was seeing devastation. And I didn't have anywhere to put it. Even after I wrote about it, it still it was still with me. How can it not be? I feel yeah. like if it wasn't, there'd be something wrong with you. Like if that wasn't going to change you and affect you, I feel like that that would be more concerning. And you brought up the word safe a number of times. You talked about your husband being safe. You talked yeah. about the things that you need to do to be safe. It's no mistake that you've been in all these conflict war zones and you see what it looks like to not be safe. And I think it's really interesting because when I talk to women, when we discuss worth whenever, and I've been in one of these, whenever we've been in relationships that are not safe, our worth goes really low down because, yeah. right. You, like you said, you came home, you had nowhere to put anything. You have no one to get it out with. You have no one to hold you or to not like, not that I need it, but that it is nice to have an outlet that is safe. What does it mean to you? I to be think safe? you kind of do need it, really. I think the change I, I become so intense that uh, you can't, you know. As I'm, I'm a pretty damn strong woman, and I needed it, and I didn't have it, and it prolonged the agony of not having it and not dealing with it to where I was not dealing with all of it for, you know, really probably four or five years, and then only realizing. I mean, I went to Afghanistan in 2009. I got married in 2013 and I was still dealing with it into 2014 or 15 with angry outbursts in my office 
and just eviscerating people verbally at the top of my lungs where that, you know, I, I should have been fired probably. <laughs> was it because you were so angry at all the things you saw and you couldn't figure out what to do with the feelings? Yeah, I felt really trapped. I would, I, I would feel the trapped animal. I'm in a corner kind of feeling about different situations and I couldn't let it go. Um, and even with my faith, which should enable me to let it go, there was just a lot of, I think there was a lot of adrenaline and a lot of, a lot of psychological and chemical reasons that I was just going to fight or flight really quickly. And once you're there, I mean, I see it now with, with my kids and tantrums, like it's really hard to knock yourself out of there. You have to breathe. You have to go in a quiet corner. I mean, I've tried to learn those things and I'll need them again. I it's been nice not to need them over the last year. <laughs> it's a real privilege, right? That you can see. I'm, yeah. Right? And, and when you asked earlier about a safe place, yeah. Someone who makes you feel that every decision you make is wrong is not safe. Someone who doesn't make you feel like it's okay to talk about your day is not safe. Someone who doesn't make you feel physically safe in your home is not safe. And I had that kind of roommate at that time, right before I got married. So I went from a completely super toxic friendship roommate to into a marriage where I was, I'm just so grateful that I wasn't running into the wrong place because he was safe and he is safe. And we talk things out and he listens. And through the pandemic, we've gotten a lot closer. He tells me a lot of things that I get much more of the layers of what he's going through and how he's handling things. I'm a, I'm much more a go solve it immediately. And he's very deliberative and often makes better decisions because of that. So the yin yang of learning from him over difficult decisions is also just been a huge blessing. You know, what's really important about what you just said. I think we all are aware just from how society has taught us that obviously physical abuse is not safe in relationships, in any kind of relationship. But what you were talking about was also another layer of feeling unsafe, of not having to be the thoughts you have and the ideas and dreams you have. That is really important for anyone that's listening, because that's one of those things. And I found this in my marriage. I'm, I'm remarried. But when I was in my marriage, my first marriage on the outside, it looked really, really good like perfect because I thought that in society, you're never allowed to leave unless you're physically abused or Mm. there's like infidelity. Like those were like the two things you're allowed to leave for in my brain. I didn't realize that what I was feeling was unsafe in my own home for who I was as a human, for what my thoughts were, my needs, my, all of it. That is really something that I don't think women talk about a lot because there's all these ideas like, you should just be happy when you have this exterior life and something must be wrong with me if I'm feeling this way. And that was a big, like a big struggle for me to walk through and to grow through. Yeah, I, I mean, walk- if somebody's not letting you talk and it's getting, you basically have the silent treatment anytime you're in, you can't talk through any conflicts because you're always wrong. There is no, there is no back and forth. I mean, the biggest favor that individual did to me was just cut me off cold then I, I was free. I mean, I, there were attempts to try to stay in, in my life in a conflictual way. And I was able to just, once I was out of the situation, let my husband shut it down, but (laughs) it was hard. It was very hard. And that was very important to me that he stood up for me because I wasn't able to stand up for myself. I want to know what your answer will be for what you would rate your own voice today, your ability to use your voice to advocate for yourself. Um, I think my ability is 
high. What I don't think the world is, is yet at a place for is that women who do that are still penalized. And I think they're still penalized in particular in my industry. If you notice, there's a lot younger people, cheaper people, and that's not uncommon in other industries as well, but it's more visible in television because you know where you can see it. There is this real tension that I have in negotiating jobs in particular, where I'm at a point where I know my worth and I know that I should be compensated and treated in a certain way. And I can't always get it because they don't want to do it actually an albatross. What have you experienced? Cause I've talked to a lot of women, professional women who have experienced similar things where they are looked at or thought of as a bitch or bossy or controlling, or who do you think you are? Have you had any of those experiences? She's smiling. <laughs> well, okay. So the reason I'm smiling is that I worked in a Chinese context for almost 10 years and was declared a diva almost from the get-go. Basically, um, just because I'm la a little bit more vocal, I'm blonde and I'm a woman, and there weren't a lot of any of those things in that context. Um, the Chinese women are, are, they communicate very differently. They're much more demure. Um, and if they have conflict or raise their voices, it doesn't happen in an open setting. It would happen in a private setting potentially. Um, so I just laugh because, you know, when you're called that enough, even if it's not the case because I have met real divas and, you know, and I've I mean, you know, people that you see on TV that are real divas, they, they exist and, you know, they want the blue M&Ms and that whole routine. That is not, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very collegial. I'm willing to put in the work and I know that that's not me, but when you're called it often enough, you really start to wonder about yourself. It's it, the, the mental game of not letting other people define you is real. Oh my God. I love what you just said. Will you say it again? The mental game of not letting other people define you is real identity and knowing who you are and not, not being, letting anybody else tell you who, who you are. That's that struggle is, and, and being authentic to that is incredibly real, especially when you're working in contexts where you have different sets of expectations based on what culture you're from, what gender you are, what you look like, um, what culture you come from. I mean, the, the layers of dissonance in that particular workplace were intense because we had people from everywhere. So you have, and then you have race and then you have gender and then you have uh, non-binary and you have all of these layers. And it's very, very challenging to figure out how to make everybody feel respected. And you, you basically can't do it you know, you're going to mess up. And what would you, what would you say a man would be considered if they, instead of being called a diva, what would be the man version? Well, I mean, that confident. Be, yeah. Yeah. A leader, I mean, a good negotiator, right? You know, this is where I feel like the arguments about why women don't make enough fall flat. And that is because when we ask for it, we're told we're too much. We're still told we're too much. Whereas you know, and there's a reason why we don't negotiate up from the get-go. We are actually grateful for that job. <laughs> we know, and, and we're not going to ask always for more right out of the gate. Now, younger women, I think, are teaching me that they are doing that. They are asking six months into jobs for promotions and six months into jobs for raises. And they're pushing the envelope more than my generation did. And I'm grateful for that, even though I think of them as divas sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I think a lot of the advances we've had in the workplace with maternity and paternity leave with better 
work-life balance. Before the pandemic, I would never have thought to work from home or ask to work from home. And it was, it's, it's young millennials and, um, and I hope Gen Z will also ask for that, that are getting it because they're asking for it. When they became parents, things started to change. That's using your voice. We're going to go back to your childhood. I want to know what it was like growing up in terms of what you heard or saw or were told about what a woman was supposed to be like, or a girl was supposed to be like, or not be like. So I was raised uh, in Mobile, Alabama till I was seven. You've got no accent. No. You got rid of it. Yes. (laughs) Uh, My parents are from Long Island. My dad is a Jewish convert to Christianity. My mom is a Catholic convert to Protestant Christianity, and they raised me in a very conservative fundamentalist church until we realized that it was too much. And we left, um, that environment did not at all welcome or make me feel welcome as someone who is loud, um, who likes to perform and dance. And at least at the time, uh, who wanted to play with the boys who wanted to get dirty, who wanted to be physical, um, who did not want to wear bows. And, and I did, I mean, I did much more so than my daughters do. Um, at least the older one, she's like, I'm not doing that. And I'm, I, what can I say? I didn't want to do it either, but I did it. She, she, I'm just like, okay, I guess you're not going to wear a bow today. Your hair's going to look like you're a homeless person. Okay. No worries. <laughs> that said, there was that, there was like a real dissonance that I remember very early on. I didn't have a problem with some of the faith stuff because I embraced that, but I did have a problem with everything that came around it. This idea that, you know, to be a Christian woman is X, Y, and Z. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure that God like tells you, you know, you, who you are. That's about it. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to be part of this cult, this Southern culture, this set of expectations. I'm going to dream what's been put in my heart to dream. And I'm going to achieve what's been put in my heart to dream. If God wills it, like this is between him and me, like all y'all can just settle down. There you go. I got your, there you, go. you got your y'all for you. Um, so that, uh, and I actually start the book with that because I think until you know your own culture, you can't understand other people's culture and that the dissonance between, you know, the, the Jewish holidays and the Christian holidays and being around people who would like, you know, make anti-Semitic remarks and never celebrate anything, anything remotely that didn't have no appreciation for Jewish traditions or Jewish history or the contributions of Jewish Americans or Jewish people around the world. There was just a lot of dissonance and that helped me from an early age, be on the outside looking in and then just decide, okay, I guess, I mean, I didn't consciously decide it all the time, but I wound up always being on the outside looking in. That's also what probably drove me into journalism and writing and traveling with my journalism. I want to go to what you learned from your experience. Mm -hmm. What do you think, what would you say is been the biggest lesson you've learned from those really challenging experiences away? Uh, you don't know what you can do till you try, but do make sure that you give yourself time to take care of yourself after you achieve it, after you try and just trying is an achievement. I I don't, I pushed so hard for so long and I still am that you can push people away. You can ignore people. You can be unkind. Um, all of the things that our culture is much more focused on now treating people well, kindness. Like there were no kindness t-shirts. Like what was kindness was weakness, you know, like our, our definition of being a working woman was like Bette Midler. I think it was Bette Midler in, um, working nine to five. Oh, but also nine to five when they had like the sexist scene with the, you know, high heels, short skirts, 
you have, you know, you're, you're going in, you're to an office, you don't have any work-life balance. You don't have um, solid relationships. Maybe you have a sex in the city kind of hookup, but you don't have like any kind of home life. Um, yeah. I mean, I, that's why I put it off for so long and it's just as well, because there was nobody really, you, you have, nobody qualified for the job that's yet. Right, I wasn't that's qualified right. for the job. I want to <laughs> ask you about your daughters. Is there anything that you specifically are being mindful about in terms of raising daughters that you want to do differently, not to knock at anything, but to just that you're being mindful about as a mother raising daughters? Cause I have all boys. So I'm always okay. like very interested when people have daughters, like, what are you doing? Like, how are you doing this? Well, I have two daughters that are very physically different and I am already conscious of making sure that I talk to my husband about physically affirming them, telling them both that they're beautiful um, as I think it's really important for their father, not just their mother to be giving them confidence in, in what they look like, um, no matter what that is, but also learning to take care of themselves to get good exercise, eat well. I don't, I love my parents dearly. I, we didn't know a lot and we certainly didn't do act on what we did know at the time in my family about exercise. Exercise was like a family event, maybe once a week. Um, you know, now it's like daily and we're active and trying to always have a vegetable at the dinner table. Um, not that my mom didn't do that. I don't want to be too critical of my mom. She's a great mom. Uh, so I think about that. I also think about, uh, particularly with my oldest who has a lot of the anger already that I also have that drives me and the anxiety that drives me, um, ways to, ways to manage that ways to breathe through that. We're reading a lot of books right now about how to take no for an answer, which is not something still at 42. I know how to do, to be honest with you. So I'm not sure I'm going to teach my six-year-old, but, um, because there is something inside me that if I hear that word, I go like, Oh, you messed with the wrong person. You know, there's always, it's like a challenge and people don't mean it like that. You know, um, they, some people are trying to save you from, from pushing through a wall that's not about to, to go down. Uh, so I do want to work on that with her. I see a lot of myself in my oldest where, yeah, she's just a bull in a china shop, just like her mom. But you know what? There's a part of that I don't want you to lose. So I'm sure you'll never lose it, but it shouldn't be so black and white because the part of you that doesn't like no is the part of you that has done all these incredible things that the majority of women have not done. And so at the same time, while you know that there's challenges with it, I would choose that over being a yes person all the time. Oh, I, I believe that about myself. I believe it's an asset. It, it certainly in a Chinese context, context was never treated as such. And so it took me the last two years to sort of be like, okay, I'm going to own this. This is not a negative. What I can do around it, though, is to build better relationships with the people I'm working with um, that are uh, to invest in them, to have relational capital with them. And that's something I want to teach my girls is, you know, you can, you can be a bull in a China shop, but you will run roughshod of, uh, over other people and they will not help you accomplish your vision. If you are not en enlisting them in the vision, if you're not including them. And I walked past a lot of people with blinders on that could have helped me with my vision a lot younger. Uh, and literally, I mean, I remember maybe in my twenties, having people tell me like, didn't you see me? And I'm like, no, because I had, you know, I'm just looking ahead and whatever's next. I'm looking at literally down the hallway, whatever it is there, there's, there's gotta be a little bit of a give and take. And I, I know that especially in cultural contexts, 
with my Chinese colleagues in particular, where I pushed them so hard to do things that were culturally um, almost deal breakers for them. Like if they had gotten caught, they would have totally <laughs> been within their rights to throw me under the bus, you know, but you could put in these situations where you have to accomplish this and there's, and, and you have to, you have to break some rules to, to get, to get from point A to point B. Um, that is a critical think, thinking skill set that um, Americans and Westerners have and are willing to work around. And Americans have even more than Europeans that Chinese people just don't because that's not their culture. Um, and it was unkind. It was unkind of me to push them quite that hard or without saying, hey, listen, I know this makes you uncomfortable. I'm going to take the fall for this. Just blame it on, you know, the bull in the China shop American. Um, and, and let's do this you know, but, or, or watch me, let's, let's, um, I would like you to learn how to do this because this is something you need to know how to do. I love the reminder that we can be all of these things because I'm also intense, but what I'm really working on today is trying to just be kinder that that's like a real challenge for me. Like just try to be kinder, like bring it down a bit. And so I just love that we give each other permission to be all these things. I want to know what your quote is that you brought, because I know it's your quote and I want us to hear it. Oh yeah. So um, this goes to identity because I think a lot of us talk about identity. I think our, our society is talking about identity as something that is fluid. Um, This goes to, I really think every single one of us is imprinted with our identity from birth and it's, and yes, you are discovering it and you don't know everything about your identity when you're born and you're, and you're growing up. Um, but my quote is, you don't have to lose your identity to identify with others. I don't want you to believe for a moment that you have to completely change who you are, tie yourself into a pretzel, put yourself in a box to be in relationship with other people that are incredibly different from you. You should be, if it's a healthy relationship, you should be able to be authentic to who you are. That doesn't mean you push it all in their face. You can be culturally competent. You can be kind and understanding and not put all of yourself out there, but you don't have to be what they are. Otherwise the world loses a beautiful, unique, shining star. So Mm. don't change who you are, change how you relate to people. That's what matters. That sounds like massive lessons that you learned on your, on your journey. We are about to go into lightning round. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. Okay. If you could go back to yourself when you returned from Afghanistan and you had a few minutes to talk to her, what would you say to her as the woman you are today? It's going to work out. What would your 80 year old self say to you now? You can let up off the gas a little bit more and don't feel guilty when you're kind to yourself or you're kind to your family. Oh, that's such a hard one. What does it mean to be beautiful? (laughs) Beauty is confident um, it's, it's confidence, confidence. That's not belittling to others. What does it mean to be a strong woman? Unafraid. What do you want others to say about she inspired? That's one of my favorite questions. You have two left. If you find out that you only have six months left, what do you want to do with the rest of your time? Tell people about Jesus. Hmm. What? you get one piece of advice for every woman to hear, what do you want to tell them? The greatest commandment is this, love yourself and love your neighbor. Hmm. You have to know yourself to love yourself. You do. Will you tell us the name of your book again, where we can find it and where we can find you? 
you can find the book on Amazon. It's called Crossing the Divide, 20 Lessons to Help You Thrive in Cross-Cultural Contexts and Environments. Um, it is available in ebook and paperback. You can find me at jessica-stone.com. Uh, that, that website has all my recent podcasts and um, TV interviews, as well as some thought leadership articles I'm reading that I'm interested in sharing some of my thoughts on those articles, um, my previous work and new projects I'm hoping to work on. It's also a place where I would love to be engaging with you on stories that you have with cross-cultural uh, context, things that you've learned about traveling and working in other settings with other people, misunderstandings you've had, things you've learned. Um, it's a great source of humor, <laughs> frankly, and, uh, and something I'd like to keep the learning going. I'm not an authority on this. Uh, I'm just somebody who wrote about it. I, I love I your love site. It's beautiful. I, you know, <laughs> I have a challenge for you. I don't know if you've ever considered this, but you know, a lot of my audience is also audio learners and audio listeners. I narrated my own memoir. I highly recommend you narrate yours. It is mm -hmm. such a different experience than the writing of it, especially having to talk about certain parts that were really hard to write mm -hmm. and hearing your, I mean, cause you have a beautiful voice, hearing your voice and the telling of it from your voice is actually such a cool thing to do. I've thought about doing that. I just haven't gotten to it yet. I would like add, to add it to your list and then <laughs> let me know so I can listen to it. I am so grateful for your time and your vulnerability and honesty. And I feel lucky to have been in your presence. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you are willing to rate, review, and share with your people, it makes such a difference for others to find it. And if you wanted to check out my memoir, Seconds and Inches, it's available on Amazon as an audiobook with me narrating, a paperback, and digital. I promise you, you will love it. Have an awesome day, and I love you. And one more thing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you.